0: You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics the Nom.
1: Hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirt and gritty. Bend down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. All around, people looking half dead, walking on the sidewalk harder than a match here different world. Go and find girl. Come on,
0: come on and dance all Hello and welcome to episode seven of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the 1980s Marvel comic series The NOM. I am your host, Tom Panneries. This time around, we have an issue that isn't so much an an adventure as it is a history lesson and features the first time we'll see Wayne Van Sant on pencils as he fills in for most of the issue for Michael Golden. But later in the series, we'll have a very long run as the regular artist. Our music at the beginning of this episode is Summer in the City by The Love and Spoonful, which hit huge in August of 1966, and while this issue doesn't exactly follow the real-time story structure that Murray set up, that Doug Murray set up at the beginning of the series, and actually is more of a fill-in issue, because issue 8 actually does take place in August of sixty six, I still wanted to play for something from August of sixty six here anyway. The issue at hand is entitled Good Old Days. It is written by Doug Murray. Michael Golden and Bob McCloud do the art on pages 1 and 22, while Wayne Van Sant does the rest of the artwork in the book. The lettering is by Kurt Hathaway. The coloring is by Phil Felix. Our editor is Larry Hama, and editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter. The book came out on March 10, 1987, and had a June 1987 cover date. At an LZ, somewhere in the Iron Triangle, Ed Marks and his company wait for their ride home. They've got an hour or so before they're going to get picked up, so Rob tells them to make to smoke them if they've got them. Ed turns to Dong, a Vietnamese Kit Carson scout who is part of their crew, and asks him why, would he used to be with VC, why did he change sides? Dong begins to recollect the story of most of his adult life, which begins in 1940 when the Japanese arrive in Vietnam and invade. The French, who had been in control of Vietnam since taking it over in the 19th century, surrendered and cooperated. Those who did not agree with the new government were executed publicly, including Duong's wife. He says that this changed him, made him more than a simple farmer, which he had been prior to this, and he decided that he was going to go to college, the Lycée Albert-Sorat in Hanoi, and he met Boy Chow, a nationalist teacher who had been placed under house arrest by the Japanese because he was speaking out against the Japanese. After his graduation, Duong joined the revolutionary forces and he helped drive the Japanese out of Vietnam. Although he admits that the freedom was, that after freedom was won, something was wrong. The incoming government seemed to be just as cruel and the French being back in charge didn't seem to change much. But Duong retreated back to his life as a farmer and he married another woman. In 1954, the country's war for independence rages on as nationalist forces fight the French. Duong goes off to war again. He's a squad leader. He fights the French, whose forces are augmented by the French Foreign Legion, some of whom are ex-Nazis. The revolutionary forces are outnumbered and outmatched, and in the fighting, Duong is hurt and goes home to recover. Unfortunately, the French Foreign Legion tracks him down and kills his, his second wife. From there, Duong decides that he would have no mercy either and rejoins the fight. The French fall at Diem Bam Phu in 1954. The enemies are hanged, and it seems that they've all won what they were striving for. That is, until the current war breaks out, with Vietnam being split into both North and South Vietnam, and and what you have being a civil war between the two. Duong sides with the North, especially after he sees that Diem, the president of South Vietnam, as well as his army and and police forces, are just as cruel as the French had been and are just as corrupt. And he sees his fellow citizens were oppressing their own people. Duong became a Viet Cong, and soon after, the United States began their involvement with the war one points out that the Americans came in and they had a sense of, well, flashiness. They built large, seemingly secure bases, but were never that secure, as he and other VC were able to use terrorist tactics to get the better of a number of them, proving that they were never truly safe. He says that from there, the Americans got better, they got more confident. And Dong kept fighting them, but then he came to be disillusioned with his side of the of the cause and he saw that americans were there to help more than hurt while he wasn't sure exactly what his people were doing except killing each other in addition to united states troops as time passed wong became more and more unsure that he was on the right side and he ended up defecting to the americans where he feels like he has been accepted Going back into the present, Marx apologizes, he says he had no idea as so the choppers come into the landing zone and Duong says, don't be sorry for me, feel sorry for them, feel sorry for the people who knew no better, they are the true victims, but only for now. Now if you recall a few episodes ago there was a letter in, in incoming that asked about the potential for a little bit of a look at the history of the war. The response at the time was that the book was going to show the experience of being in the war and not take too much to go back over a lot of the background of what you were seeing. Yet, here we are. Um, I can't confirm, but I'm pretty sure, because it reads like a fill-in, that it was a fill-in story. Uh, Perhaps they were falling behind, or maybe even Doug Murray felt that this did need to be addressed. After all, on page two, there's a note by Doug Murray to the readers... That says, the elements of this story are completely true. Duong's story is actually a composite of the stories of three different VC, not all of whom changed sides and became. Kit Carson Scouts. By using these stories, I think we've given a clear picture of the roots of the war, the reason Charlie fought as long and hard as he did. The artwork was done by Wayne Van Sant, a new artist with a special interest in and aptitude for work about the French Foreign Legion. By letting Wayne do this special issue, we've given Michael Golden some extra time to do really special work on future issues of the NAM. Michael will be back next issue, Doug Murray. Uh, This note is paper-clipped to a really gorgeous, uh, well, it's a splash page with an inset of Duong telling his story of the Japanese landing on the shores of Vietnam, you know, and and coming in. And I find it kind of interesting that Murray felt the need to go that far, especially since a fill-in artist or story on a regular book wasn't really anything out of the ordinary. In fact, the way this is done is similar to what you'd see with the old Marvel Star Wars series, where you would have, sometimes you'd you'd have basically Jim Shooter or somebody plucked a, a story from inventory. Because the team was falling behind, and he was insistent that the books make their deadlines, and what he would do, what they would do is they would have the the regular writing and art team do like bookend things with a page a couple of pages of story, and then have the 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 inventory story be kind of like a flashback so you 'd have like David Michelini and Walt Simonson team on pages one and twenty two and then the interior was like. Uh, Archie Goodwin and Carmine Infantino or something uh, doing doing the, the interior story that took place instead of after the Empire Strikes Back uh, after Star Wars. And that's kind of what we have here. Golden and McCloud do a couple of pages. Wayne Van Sant does the interiors. Uh, now, there's really not anything to say about the Golden and McCloud pa- pages. It's Ed asking Dwong a question about why he's fighting for the U.S. after having been a... VC, and then it's his reaction to the story and the chopper picking him up. What I will say is that I really like McLeod's inking over Gold's pencils. Bob McLeod is a great, great artist overall. He's a great inker as well. And not that John Beatty, who had been inking the book for the last couple of issues, was terrible or anything, but McLeod's inks are terrible. Tighter, and they don't take Golden's pencils too far into the cartoony side of things. Uh, looking at the next couple of issues, it looks like Beatty's back on ink, so I don't know if we'll see more of McLeod and Golden uh, or what. Anyway, most of the issue's art, however, is drawn by Wayne Van and I said, Like I said, he would take over pencils for much of the series after Golden left. And he would wind up doing a great job of blending the style Golden brought to the book with a serious amount of of realism as well. I will definitely talk more about Wayne Van Sant in detail uh, when his run officially starts, but I do have to say that I really like his art in this issue because it feels like... Well, it feels like a documentary, Uh, and the transition between the two artists works well because Golden's telling kind of our present-day Ed Marks story and Van Sant is telling Duong's story. And Duong's story... Is, is all narration. Uh, there's very little dialogue of it. And in fact, uh, there's only one line of dialogue in the entire story where a French Foreign Legion soldier, they come for him and his wife, and after his wife spits in the French Foreign Legion soldier's face, he punches her in the face, and he says, Subhuman, pig!" It's a great moment. It's not a great moment because a woman's punched and called a subhuman pig. It's a great moment because you see what really motivates him to fight and how that fight was personal to him. In fact, I think that here we really get the personal motivation for a people to fight a war, especially a revolution or a civil war that's going on and that's going to ravage their own country. Duong's story is about his people having enough national pride to kick out the invaders and the interlopers and take it back for themselves. The resistance to the Japanese is obviously not germane to Vietnam. It's not surprising considering that during the 1930s and 40s they steamrolled their way across most of East Asia. And there's plenty of documented evidence of atrocities committed by the Japanese military in the occupied territories during the Second World War. Duong watches his first wife get guillotined and that motivates him to to educate himself about the different philosophies of you know of what's what's going on about nationalism about rights and and about but everything that 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 somebody who is a revolutionary would become educated about and then after graduation he joins that revolutionary force and and they win you know then after they win the war World War II, that is, the French come and it's well, it's more of the same, which was true for quite a number of colonies. Uh, the Brits—and I'm—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head, and it's been my my post-colonial politics and history course was uh, a decade and a half ago. So, but I remember the British when they either left their country the countries they had they had uh, overseen or colonized willingly or were 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 forced out left things behind in pretty good shape the french not so much. In fact, the only people who were at one point, you know, w- w- in terms of leaving their colonies behind, were worse than the French. Probably the Belgians. But uh, so the French, you know, th- there was a lot of animosity uh, there, and and you know, this may have been due to the fact that you know, for for the better part of the war, the French were under you know, you have the Vichy rep- uh, government. You know, the, the German essentially German controlled France as opposed to France. You know, and 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 you know, and we could talk about colonialism and imperialism, and and all these things that happened from the 19th century all really way up until the war, the end of World War II, because the end of World War II really is the final nail in the coffin for that era of that sort of post-Napoleonic era, uh, which really has its, and at the end of World War I, but World War I kind of carries out to World War II. I mean, it's, it's really one long war with two different acts. And and Indochina, as it's known at the time, uh, specifically, and we're looking specifically at Vietnam. Uh, you have Ho Chi Minh, and you have other other revolutionaries in the area, and they they band together an army and they kick the French out. Dien Bien Phu being the final battle, the final victory, and and what you end up having is the governments of of Vietnam not being able to agree, and this kind of split that happens, uh, you know, when they're trying to broker peace. And the Americans eventually got get involved uh, for, for a number of reasons, one of which being the foreign policy theory known as the domino effect, the idea that if one of the countries in a certain area of the world falls to communism, other countries will follow suit. Uh, it's why we would start getting involved in police actions during the Cold War. So we do end up here you know, sending advisors over through the 50s and into the 60s and then, and then really into, uh, after the Gulf of Tonkin in 64, sending troops after troops to the point where in August of 66 you have hundreds of thousands of troops uh, over in Vietnam. So the Americans come in and, and, and Duong sees that they're more humane than the other foreign armies. You know, they're not... Tr- but and, and, you know, if you l- really look at it, you look at the Japanese, you look at the French and the French Foreign Legion, the Americans aren't trying to invade. Uh, the, the purpose of the American, or the stated purpose of the American involvement in Vietnam was to bolster the South so that they could defeat the North. You could unify the, the country under one, uh, one government that is not communist. But we could discuss that as well. But let's just, you know, just for simplicity's sake and and for time's sake, we can we'll take it as that. Because what he says is that he he sees this human this humanitarian effort, and he sees he sees a a kindness from these soldiers that he hasn't been seeing uh, from the invaders, and he decides that that is what he can hold on to. He's finally found something to hold on to. Murray, as a writer, seems to be doing his best to present. Duong's story in a way that's objective. Um, in other words, he wants this to be historically accurate. He wants it to be straightforward. And he wants to not try to say whether or not this war is right. He shows the American military in a good light here, uh, through the eyes of someone who sees the GIs as helping as opposed to hurting. And we know, having read this series for six issues already, that the average GI is more than sort of a great white knight coming in to save the people of this poor country. We've seen how they're scared. We've seen how they're corrupt. We've seen how they aren't exactly sure about what they're doing. So this is a balance, in a sense, to those other stories. Had this been the first issue of the series, I think it would have made the American soldiers look too much like superheroes, in a sense, Uh, not as real as they looked when we saw them in, in issue number one. And like I said, uh, this is a pretty solid history lesson. It serves its purpose very well. I know I could have looked this up on Wikipedia or in a textbook or something, but if I put myself in the shoes of a comics reader in 1987, hey, if I put myself in my own shoes, because I was reading comics in 1987, I was buying G.N. Joe and the Transformers, if I put myself in those shoes, I don't have much at my fingertips. Maybe the public library, which was down the block from the comic store but but maybe the public library uh if i wanted to go look up things about vietnam maybe a couple of movies but they'll only show me certain things if i really want the information as for the background of the war and why this war was being fought in the first place there's only so much that i can you know that i can find right at my fingertips so this in a way does wind up giving me a sense of why this is being fought Not why the Americans were involved, but why the war was being fought in the first place and how far back it went. In fact, it goes all the way back to the 1850s when the French uh, took over what was then known as Indochina. And this is illustrated even on the cover. The cover has Duong sitting down with an AK-47 on one side of and an M-16 on the other And behind them are the flags of uh, North North Vietnam and South Vietnam, France, Imperial Japan, and the United States. It's there to illustrate how deep the roots of the war run. And I really, really appreciate that. Because a lot of wars that are fought, or a lot of wars that have been fought, have much more complex history than we often give them credit for having if I'm phrasing that right. And in 22 pages of what's a real solid issue, Murray does his best to get that across, and it's a pretty admirable job. So I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to come back with the historical context, letters, and ads. Yeah, 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 play it. Come on, play it loud. Play it loud. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy... The two true freaks. Internet radio broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant.
1: Oh. And transpire out freak. Two. Well, I'm in the circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. True. I have come here to Chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Oh shit! Six! It's a super prize package worth nine thousand three hundred and <laughs> eighty-eight dollars. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! <laughs> And now, together by live simulation via the internet,
0: your hosts,
1: Scott Gardner,
0: he killed a police officer for Christ's sake, yeah, God, I'm lucky kill you.
1: and Chris Honeywell, keep away, keep away from me,
0: you are physically repulsive,
1: intellectually
0: retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid, you have no taste, a
1: lousy sense of humor, and you smell. me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now, come on, like let's She likes me, No ain't?
0: way. Shut up, you freak! Julius, you. I say shut up! It's a man-own! A man home! To truefreaks.com. Now we're back. So, this is just does have quite a bit of historical context. You have the history of the First French Indochina War and how that read, led to the Second Indochina War, which is what we now know as the Vietnam War. And there's also a mention of the French Foreign Legion and the Kid, Kit Carson Scouts. The Vietnam War does have its roots in the imperialism and colonialism that existed since the first explorers, but which really ramped up in the 19th century. The French ruled Vietnam from 1858 until 1954, with the exception of the Japanese, uh, ruling during the Second World War. In 1954, you have the Battle of Dien Bien Phu, which was won by the Viet Minh, and the French were finally driven from the region. Now, of course, what resulted was actually two countries instead of one. The North was communist, and the South was not, although the DM regime was notorious for being just as cruel and corrupt as the other side. The result was a civil war that would last until the fall of Saigon in 19, 1975. Saigon would then be renamed Ho Chi Minh City, as it is officially known today. So overall, this war went on for about 30 years, maybe more, considering, like I said, Japan invaded in the early 1940s. The French Foreign Legion is mentioned in this issue as well, and there is something in here about how ex-Nazis were joining the French Foreign Legion. Now, there has been evidence that the French Foreign Legion did recruit from the Wehrmacht. Wehrmacht? Uh, Wehrmacht? Wehrmacht. And a book called Devil's Guard, which purports to be non-fiction but is technically a work of fiction, tells the story of former SS soldiers who fight for the French Foreign Legion during the french Indochina War. Some of these accounts may be true. But overall, there seems to be a dispute as to how many ex-Nazis were recruited into the French Foreign Legion. As for the Kit Carson scouts, uh, this does show up in our NOM notes for this issue, but they were basically former enemy soldiers who had defected to the United States military during the Vietnam War. The reasons for defection varied, being everything from people like Duong, whose ideals brought him to the U.S. side, to the U.S. having better medical facilities and treatment for ailments such as malaria. The general purpose for the Kit Carson scouts was counterintelligence as well as keeping up local relations. They're named, by the way, for frontiersman Kit Carson, who served for the United States military during the 19th century, uh, especially during many of the 19th century conflicts that the American army had with American Indian tribes. He was somewhat of a folk hero, a popular subject of books and movies as well, so it would have been a well-known name during uh, the time that these were established. There were a couple of hundred Kit Carson scouts in 1965 and 1966, but by 1969 they numbered about 2,200 and were seen as a vital part of the war intelligence effort. Uh, now there's no real notes for historical background the same way I've been doing that like where I have context from month to month I'll be doing that next episode uh, with issue eight and August of sixty six so uh, I'll go right into incoming which which has letters that talk about issues one two three and uh, and four and I do have one that one that questions about will you ever see the Viet Cong commander and 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 they they uh, they say Rick uh, they say that this guy named Rick. Uh, There was really no single Viet Cong commander. They were guerrillas and worked across different territories. I hope the story in this issue tells you a little bit more about Charlie. Jason S. Russell from Linden, Utah writes, and I'm going to read his uh, letter. When I first read about a comic coming out about the Vietnam War, I thought, great. I had read a few books on the Undeclared War, so go ahead and buy my first comic book. It was... Words cannot describe how I felt. The Nom was my first comic book, and since September 9th, I've added 34 to my collection. I'm planning on buying all 96 issues and specials, and nothing is going to stop me except maybe for no funds. I think your use of real time is a good idea. We will be able to see new characters so we won't get bored. Mr. Golden does have a cartoony style, but I think it's great. So far, my favorite panel is issue 1, page 3, panel 9. The sergeant looks just like Hollywood have us believe from all sergeants look. And that does, that's what I was saying, I think, in my first couple episodes about Sarge, how he looked like, you know, like I just kept thinking of Ernest Borgnine or 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 Energy Robinson or Asner like one of those like, kind of gruff, heavy, said gruff gruff guys. From what I've heard, the comic from comic shop managers, the Nam is selling well. Let's hope this continues. I don't have a favorite issue because they're all great. The end of number four was marvelous. A bronze star. Wow. I have an idea for a cover: show a newspaper headline, something about bombing North Vietnam or the like. Please print my letter. I don't care if you edit it. I would like to know how to get a poster of the book, so please give me some info. In summary, I love your book. Everything is awesome. Don't change the things, except the characters, of course. Thanks for your hard work, and finally, thanks for bringing something good out of the Vietnam War. P.S. I liked your piece on the CBS Evening News. I know you showed the covers to 1 and 2, but what about the other one? Dan Dan Rather is awesome. Uh, They say, thanks for all the praise. The other cover on the CBS show was an LRP long-range reconnaissance retrieval piece we haven't used yet. Uh, You can actually, I found that CBS News piece on YouTube. And I'm going to link to it in the show notes. But here it is, uh, at least the audio of it.
1: The war in Vietnam was real blood, real death, and no laughing matter. Neither of these days are some comic books. Now there's a new realistic series called The Nom. The giant in the industry, Marvel Comics, publishes everything from Care Bears to Spider-Man. Now they've added a new bestseller to the comic stands, The Nam. It's a series of stories that chronicle the war years between 1966 and 1974. Reliving battles that were replayed on TV in North American living rooms. Today, as more and more Americans try to come to terms with the war, Vietnam veteran and series writer Doug Murray says it's a comic book series whose time has come.
0: When I first got into the army in 72, I wrote a couple of Vietnam stories for the other company. And when they finally got around to publishing them, they changed them the World War II stories because they didn't want to touch the Vietnam War.
1: The Nam claims to be realistic and not like most war comics that wipe out the entire German army at the stroke of an artist's brush. The NOM comic is being released one book every month for the next eight years. The actual length of the war in Vietnam. The video cuts off, unfortunately, and that's the only version I found. But uh, I will post
0: the YouTube video to the blog, and you can see it there. Back to the letters. Somebody asked about dogfighting. Um... he he says, you know, at one point they say, you know, uh, the Nam is a book about grunts. Grunts don't get to fly around enough fours. Somebody asked if they're going to be covering any major battles in the future. A battle over a couple of issues would be great. He says there will be battles in the future issues, for instance, number nine, but they will not be spread out over two issues because our real-time format prohibits that. Um... They asked about stuff going on after the war. He says, I really don't know. I'm not sure enough readers would be interested to make it worthwhile. What do you think? Uh, Nam Notes. Diemien Phu, a little village near the Laotian border where the last French fighting force was defeated in 1954, effectively removing Vietnam from French rule. Uh, I had to check that. They actually were printed 1958, but it is 1954. Uh, Imperial Running Dog, propagandist were used to describe almost anyone whom the ruling communists thought was against them. Kit Carson scout, quote-unquote reformed VC, who were used as scouts, guides, translators, etc., by American troops. LZ's Landing Zone, uh, we all know what... um, Nazis are, but they say after the war many of them fled war crime tribunals in Germany and slipped through Switzerland to Africa where a great number were enlisted into the French Foreign, foreign Legion. They ended up fighting the Viet Vietnam Minh. Uncle Ho ref, refers to uh, this, the Ho Chi Minh, the spiritual and temporal leader of the V.C. V.C., of course, is Viet Cong. Vietnam, Viet Minh is the forerunner of the V.C., freedom fighters against the French until they end at the end of Dien Bien Phu. And as for ads, we still have that same M&M's ad. <laughs> Rainbow and Bubble Yum ad that has an order form for a kite, because we all love flying kites the first time, and then we never take them out of the box again. We have an ad. Who can save the universe from a hardest, as cold as space? The Galaxy Rangers. The quickest, quickest draws in the universe. I don't remember this. Is this ever on TV? I really don't remember this. If anybody's actually listening and remembers this Galaxy Rangers thing, write in. A couple pages later, we have hot, reckless, totally insane, thrashing, starring Josh Brolin in a skateboard movie. Man, it's 1987, isn't it? Woo! Woo! Webster is taking off for LA. He lives to thrash. He loves to compete. But the competition is a killer.
1: Check it out.
0: The Bangles, Animotion, Devo, Meatloaf, The Red Hot Chili Peppers, thrashing
1: Yeah, we Well, what do you thrash? What do you got? You'd like to be held like that? Yeah, I'd love it. Look at us. Ain't it funny? Is it just beginners like... Well, maybe. It's just the game, right, Valley Boy? You like games, right, Valley Boy? An uphill romance. Corey, please don't go. To a downhill race.
0: Not a kid's game anymore. I need I need to have a movie night with this, Rad, and Airborne. <laughs> Cause I can imagine it's the same freaking movie, just on bikes, rollerblades, and skateboards. <laughs> oh god, I love the eighties. Uh, American Comics pops up again. Um, Adventurers, hottest new comic of 1986. Prices continue to skyrocket. A fantasy adventure team book that introduces eight new characters. Highly recommended. The first print is has the first elf warrior and is very hot. Batman Year One is hot and is on sale for 99 cents a piece. Huh. Um, they got a bunch of 99 cents sales going on here. Nothing really insanely expensive yet we're not getting into this kind of we're gonna, we're gonna jack up the prices on stuff or we're not going or we're, or we're not like you know blowing the lid off of uh, books that you're like, are you kidding me?" the X men from 96 to 130 which go between uh, for between eight and eight dollars and twenty seven50 are pretty expensive but again it's the X men. And they're they're looking for comics and this is what they're 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 looking to buy certain comics from people. Uh for instance, they're looking for G. I. Joe uh number one for twelve dollars, they're willing to pay number thirty five dollars for number two, eight bucks for ten, uh they're looking to pay they would pay you from 131 to 141, they paid me six bucks a piece for each of them. Uh, the following prices are for trade. Select anything of equal or in or out of equal value. Make up higher differences by adding cash. Um, so you know the very very interesting grab bags. I'm sure that they were nowhere near what you were paying for them. Uh, we have a hodgepodge ad can learn how to do magic and build muscles and go to various comic conventions. The Quality Inn at Pentagon City. I, th- I used to live near the Quality Inn at Pentagon City. Another hodgepodge ad. Nothing really has changed since the last one I talked about. Bullpen Bulletins mentions that uh, Marvel's been brought, bought by New World Pictures. Uh, a Los Angeles-based motion picture television com- production company whose recent successes include the movie Soul Man. see <laughs> Thomas Howell in blackface. And they're really telling us that that's a success. Six- uh, they also put out Sledgehammer and Crime Story, both of which were really good, really underrated. Uh, Crime Story deserves the acclaim it gets. Sledgehammer's underrated, in my opinion. Uh, how will this change Marvel Comics? Probably not in any way that you readers will notice. Check out the official the the Untold Story Marvel Comics the Untold Story. There's some really great stories about the 80s and Marvel and the egos that were running around and and how the people who were the higher higher ups really had not no desire to run a comic company, but for some reason kept buying these things and really really fascinating stuff. I'm trying to think if there's anything. There's, some, there's a couple of not Marvel people writing some novels. They're quashing the rumor that Marvel editor Ralph Macchio is the same Ralph Macchio from the Karate Kid, you know. Woohoo. Congratulations to Jim Novak, who is now the production manager. And that's pretty much it uh, on the Bulletin Bulletins. Back cover features Features the laser tag official game handbook. They were really pushing laser tag back in uh, tw- twenty-five years ago. I mean, laser tag needed a handbook like ready, aim, read the new laser tag official game handbook is the ultimate guide for laser tag players, it will sharpen your skills far beyond those of your friends putting you at the top of your class, one on one or team versus team, you'll find countless ways of using your laser tag equipment, before you play your next game, check out the new laser tag official game handbook, it's the difference between just playing and winning, your best competition will probably be yourself, but hey, life is lonely at the top, it's laser tag, you run around and shoot at each other and hit the sensor how is that hard? It's like... I mean... C- c- congratulations for trying to capitalize on a trend, TSR, but... I mean... Uh, can, I, can I release the official handbook for snowball fights? I uh, It's a laser tag. Anyway, um, that's it for the ads. And that's it for this time out. Check back in a couple of weeks uh, when I'll be talking about issue 8 of the NOM, which will be August 1966. I'll be back on uh, the regular historical context and what have you format and playing another classic from the oldies bin. Until then, thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics The Nom. The Nom and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and as this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes, and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which you can find at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com and may likely be read on the air as I occasionally do email-centric episodes or segments. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nam.